This is the Locked On Senators podcast. I'm Ross Levitan from the heart of enemy territory in downtown Toronto. Today I'm joined by Chris Parliament to look back on a night to forget in Vancouver. We discuss what changes need to be made after a disastrous first period and ultimately a 5-2 loss. We look ahead to a quick turnaround coming up in Edmonton. This is the Locked On Senators podcast, your team every day. Today is December 4th, and yikes, what happened in that first period, Parley? I mean, it started off with an absolute textbook turnover by Brandstrom in the neutral zone. Godet picked his pocket and found Antoine Roussel at the other end. Of course, on Alex Burrow's retirement night, it's another guy who plays the game the same way. It's going to tuck the first goal, and it was early against the Sens. And that brings up the question, is Brandstrom an NHLer right now? He shows flashes, but the fact that I'm hesitant, I think, tells you all you need to know for a guy that's played over 20 games this year. We've been on the fence on this show. Some episodes we're we're more leaning towards keeping him, but at this point, it's time for him to go to Belleville. I agree. You mentioned he played over 20 games. It's 23 now, and he's only got two assists. He had another chance last night that I would call his best chance since he's been a senator in the NHL, right in the slot. It was a save. It was turned away. Again, he's snake bitten. He had four shots last night, but if you look at his shot totals, it's where you run into a little bit of hesitancy in keeping him up because he's only got 24 shots in 23 games played. Now, to put that into relevant numbers, Thomas Shabbat has 74 shots in 28 games played. Now, you can say Thomas Shabbat plays more minutes. He's got power play time and stuff like that. But if we gave up Mark Stone to get Eric Brandstrom, that's where you need to have your expectations. And right now, just over a point per or short, just over a shot per game is not cutting it. Averaging only 13 minutes and 35 seconds. You got to think if he's down in Belleville, that's up over 20 minutes easily every night. And you mentioned the word expectation. Well, within the Senators organization, the expectations are in Belleville this year to, to compete and to make the Calder Cup playoffs and maybe to go on a bit of a run. Who knows once you get in. But Branstrom can help that, be a part of this culture that they're creating with Balsers and Batherson and Norris. The list goes on down there with Abramov and Formanton. Yarosh and, and Lejoie, I know he's up with the team right now. But there is a foundation down there. And I don't think that he's a beyond playing AHL games this year. I don't even think watching him play down there last year. He was good, but he wasn't dominating. And that's what he has to do. He doesn't have that acceleration, that separation speed that elite puck moving defensemen tech seem to have and that's not a knock on him this kid is uh is 20 years old just turned 20 in september there's so much time for him um to still become an elite puck moving defenseman i think we all expect him to i just don't want to be burned by a guy who's gonna just settle in and survive let him go down thrive play on the first power play unit i know the decision becomes easier when christian willandon gets back whenever that is from his surgery but i mean lejoie is up he's been a healthy scratch on this trip you do have an extra body you don't need to be playing him forcing him into the these nhl minutes and you mentioned something interesting there ross because you mentioned that 
that first step, that breakaway speed. And then you mentioned he's 20 years old. If you go back to when we saw him live in the rookie tournament this year, he did have that breakaway speed again against players in his own age group. So if you let him go down and learn how to be a pro at the AHL level, it's going to be a lot easier than learning how to be a pro at the NHL level. And you mentioned when he was in the AHL, most notably the biggest body of work was when he was with the Chicago Wolves, where he had 28 points in 41 games, where I'm happy with those numbers when it comes to an AHL defenseman. And another thing, if you take him down to Belleville, he's going into a great situation right now where everybody's thriving. Like you mentioned, you just got Balsers back. They're eight and two in their last 10. It's a winning atmosphere down there right now. And he's going to be playing with guys that are going to be big parts of the organization when it's his time to be a big part of the organization. So let him learn how to play with a guy like Drake Batherson, a guy like Rudolph Balsers, two guys you mentioned, and get that chemistry going down there. And another thing you mentioned, he's going to be playing... If he goes down, he would be playing number one minutes. He would be also playing number one power play minutes. And I think that's somewhere where the organization wants him to thrive and be a part of. And I think it'd be a pretty welcome addition to the Belleville Senators power play right now because they're already clicking at 20.9%, which is third in the North Division. So if he was able to add to that, the Belleville Senators are trying to climb the line and get up to the top of that North Division. Well, the power play is going to help because... They're third in the division, third power play in the division as well. You mentioned the the power play, and you look at him in the NHL. When Brandstrom played, uh, or was a healthy scratch, rather, they had Dylan DeMello and Ron Hainsey play on the power play. That's just, it's it's not great, but, I mean, either either throw him in there or just let's put him in Belleville. It worked well for and He's ready for the NHL now. Different situations, of course, Willand and not a first-round pick and, and all that. But he was fine in Belleville last year, 31 points in 40 games for Willand, and I can't wait to see him back. But, I mean, just talking about Branstrom kind of made me pivot towards uh, towards Willannon. But I want to get into some goaltending, too, because Anders Nielsen, we, we could call it a revenge game, always do when they play their former team. So Anders Nielsen in Vancouver, Ah, wasn't wasn't the best outing for him, uh, to say the least. But what I found interesting, and to get his stats there, he made 11 saves on 15 shots, allowing the four goals. Hogberg came in and mopped it up in relief, only allowing the one goal on 14 shots, played the final 40 minutes. But it kind of opened me up to a bigger picture. I want to pick your brain on this one, Parley. In eight games at home, Anders Nielsen has a 923 save percentage, which is very good. On the road... Only two wins in seven games, and his save percentage is below 900. Is there anything to that, or is that just kind of randomness? I think, honestly, it's kind of randomness right now because the lineup has been changing a lot in front of him. So it's when he's hot, it seems like the team's playing well in front of him, and when he's not, it seems like the team's not playing well in front of him. We mentioned last night uh, they just started 10 minutes late, and it was already too big of a hole to dig out of. When you have a team doing that, turning the puck over and allowing grade-A scoring chances in front of you, it's it's tough. And it seems like that the Senators have been more comfortable at home. So if you want to look into a trend, it's potentially the team playing in front of them that's a little more comfortable on home ice, whereas these young guys, they're taking a little bit too long, putting their goalie in a vulnerable situation early on the road, and it's not allowing him to put up the numbers he would with a comfortable team, like I mentioned, at the CTC. Update coming up soon on Craig Anderson with Marcus Hogberg playing well yesterday. Maybe that adds to the intrigue. We'll get into all that and more. But you need to treat yourself. I eat this 
all the time, and you have to as well. The meal you deserve. Have your favorite restaurants come to you. Yeah, you don't even have to leave the house. It's DoorDash. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app. Enter promo code locked on. That's the DoorDash app. Enter promo code locked on. All right, if you're listening on the go, if you can't visit DoorDash right now, you can find this and all other offers from Locked On sponsors at lockedonpodcast.com slash offers. That's lockedonpodcast.com slash offers. So Bruce Garriock tweeted last night that DJ would have an announcement this morning about the status of Craig Anderson. And does that become even more enticing here with the way Nielsen played last night? I think it has to because you look at it and it isn't just last night. In the last five games Nielsen's played, including only 20 minutes of work last night, he's allowed 17 goals. And that's a number that skyrocketed since the great start he had in early November where he was first start of the week, had three straight wins, and he was playing really well. So I think it is. It's intriguing because it, we started off this season thinking it's going to be a 1A, a 1B situation. Then Nielsen started to look like he was going out and going to take that number one position. But as you, we've been talking about, it's kind of slipping on him a little bit as well. So it's going to be nice to have two NHL goaltenders back. Marks Hogberg, obviously, like you said, came in, played the mop-up role well last night, only allowing the one goal. But it's different down the stretch. And when you have getting kind of the dog days of the, of the season, having two NHL caliber goaltenders will make things interesting. And I think... Right now, it's just going to have to go back to status quo like it was before, 1A, 1B. It's a split crease right now because Nielsen took the bigger half but started to give it back. Is it without question that Hogberg just goes right back down? Because, I mean, Craig Anderson's had two good starts in a row. The Columbus game where he only allowed the one goal is a one nothing loss, mind you. Um, 18 saves in that one. And then the game before, the win in Montreal was... 35 save performance and was really good. He's put up over 900 save percentage in each of his last four starts after failing to reach that in his previous four games. Is Do you think he's a guy that pe- the teams are going to call on? With the one year left on his deal, it is, what, $4.5 million, I want to say. So teams would have to have the cap to be able to make the flexibility unless, of course, we've seen Dorian get creative in terms of um, maintaining salary or making sure it's balanced. But do you think Craig Anderson's the kind of guy that teams will be looking after this, to go after this trade deadline season? It all depends. And what I think it depends on mostly is injuries. And not only the injuries that Craig Anderson's dealt with earlier this season, if that becomes a nagging situation, obviously his stock will plummet a little bit. But injuries the other way as well, because if there's a team knocking on the door trying to get into a playoff spot and one of their goalies goes down, that means the market just got a lot hotter. And for a guy like Craig Anderson, where, yeah, if a team has a little bit of cap space or there's some fancy fancy financial footwork going on to make a trade like this occur, that's when and- oh, sorry, Craig Anderson will become a lot more valuable to a team that's maybe looking for another guy to play in a balanced situation. A team like Carolina comes to mind. Um, last season, they kind of had the goalie tandem going in the playoffs. Some teams get in there on good team play and their goaltenders kind of just riding the wave of how the team's playing. So if you're able to add a veteran guy who's 
let's not forget two years removed from an Eastern Conference final run and a veteran guy to have in the room and just a steady backbone. I think that Craig Anderson could be a name that gets talked about a little bit, but I think it would be a situation of need and uh, need right away for a team. Yeah, and just to piggyback off your point about him making the Eastern Conference Finals at age 35, he's he's only made the playoffs five years. Isn't that crazy in his 17-year career? So you'd think you'd want another crack at the playoffs, whether it's a backup role or what. We always see teams need both goalies in the playoffs. And in 46 playoff games, he's got a 929 save percentage. He has been playing some of his best hockey in playoffs. Now, mind you, the only reason I really bring up this, because there's no rumors really circulating right now, is just that the way Joey played uh, Decord up in, in Belleville, the way Philip Gustafson has really bounced back the last couple of games, and seeing now that Hogberg can compete at an NHL level, it gives that flexibility. And What if a team comes calling on Anders Nielsen? I wouldn't be opposed to that. It, I mean, for the right price, right? You got him for Tom Pyatt in a fifth rounder, so... If you can get more on the way out, I think the Sens' goaltending future really lies in those three names that I mentioned before. So Anderson and Nielsen, these are stopgap years. I don't want to say Anderson's a stopgap. Speaking of the ring of honor, Craig Anderson deserves to be in the Sens' ring of honor. 415 regular season games. You think of Patrick Laleem when you think of Sens' goalies. I think most do. He only played 283. So Craig Anderson, like I won't say doubled, but he's getting pretty close here. Um, to running away with the the Sens leader in in games played by a goalie and has been there for some of the best times over this past decade. But going forward, and this Sens team is all about the future, how much do you need Nielsen and Anderson when you have these three guys who any one of them could be NHL goalies? We flirted with the, the potential of a playoff situation in the couple of shows ago last week before the break, but... You know, when you see games like this on the road and it starts to slip away a little bit and you're starting to see how young this team is and the mistakes that are getting made and when the goaltending's not hot, that was kind of what was holding this team in that, if we want to call it contention for a playoff spot around the American Thanksgiving spot. But yeah, this team is without a doubt a seller. So if you're going to get the most value for an Anders Nielsen, it's kind of imperative that you go out and take it because he's not your goalie of the future. You've drafted two goaltenders in the second round. You've got a guy where, sorry, one goaltender in the second round. He's coming up. You've well, Gustafson De- was drafted in the second round, but acquired yeah. via trade. Yeah. So you've got two second round caliber goaltenders, a guy like Joey Decord, who's flying up the rankings. He should the be a first chart. round caliber. Shout out Joey. <laughs> Friend of the show, of course, goalie friendly show. But when you look at this, you mentioned it a little bit earlier. When Anderson comes back and Hogberg goes back down, it's not so much the NHL crease that's going to see the brunt of the change. It's, again, Joey Decord. As the dominoes fall, he will be going back down to Brampton. Now that's when you start to look at where can you get the most value. If it's out of a guy like Craig Anderson, it might be time to step away from, like you mentioned, the best goaltender in franchise history, or an Anders Nielsen, if he's able to get you that value back. And I would say Anders Nielsen would get you more value just because he's that prototypical blueprint of a goaltender right now. He's big, quick feet, and he can get the job done in front of a team that is capable of playing well. So I think Anders Nielsen would be the guy to be shipped out of town first, but there's a lot of question marks and a lot of traffic in the crease for the Senators right now, and that's not a bad problem to have. You just hope that the Senators deal with it in the right way. As we're recording here just before noon Eastern time on 
Wednesday, December 4th. The announcement hasn't even been made of who's going to start tonight. And believe it or not, a lot of people had the Edmonton Oilers finishing outside the playoffs going into this season. Their depth, maybe not the best, but when you have the two best players in the league, and I'm confident that they're one and two in Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl. I'm not even sure if it's in that order anymore, the way Leon Dreisaitl's played this year. But what what do you have to say about this tough, tough test against the Oilers? Well, it gets even tougher walking into their building because they're 7-3-2 at home this season. They get it done in front of that home crowd. Edmonton's always been a faithful crowd, and you almost kind of hope for the best for teams like that. Good Canadian teams that they're going to sell out the building no matter what. So they're putting on a show for their home crowd this year. But if you look at things that you got to do against the Edmonton Oilers, shutting down that line, well, they've been split up now, 97 and 29, but shutting them down is very important. Yeah, it should be illegal. But if you're going to shut them down, don't give them a chance on the power play because the Sens were one for two on the PK last night. But you're better off staying out altogether tonight because they're the league best. The Oilers are at 32.5% on the power play. Yeah, can, can you tell me how many points does McDavid have on the power play? 22. Guess what? What? Jean-Gabriel Jean Pajot leads the Sens in points overall, and he has 21. Yeah, so what you're saying is Leon Dreisaitl would be right number two on the team with 18 points on the power play. Correct. So, yeah, Dreisaitl has his second most points if you plugged him into the Sens overall just with his power play points. <laughs> and Connor McDavid would be leading the Ottawa Senators in points. Unbelievable, those two. So who do you match up against them tonight? Is it Borokop and Demello? <laughs> is that what you got to do? Like, what is the what is the game plan here tonight? Uh, I probably keep Brandstrom away from either of them the the way the way he played last night. Um, I think you honestly you just throw Zaitsev and Borrow at them and just say, "Hey, good luck, guys." Yeah. Um, or it's one of those where you give Shabbat the the reps of being like, "Hey, you want you want to be a number one defenseman? You're going up against number one forwards, and there's no bigger test than those two. Sometimes you got to match speed and skill with speed and skill, and that's where Thomas Shabbat would come in. But, Ross, i got a weird stat for you, just looking up the numbers beforehand. Both Leon Dreisaitl and Connor McDavid have an identical 19.6 shooting percentage this year, which is just unbelievable because they have different shot numbers and different amounts of points. So the ability to just be the two-headed monster and be equally as effective is pretty ridiculous. But what's even more ridiculous is 19.6% isn't even the highest on the team. James Neal's up over 20% on the year. Wow, James Neal. What a pickup he ended up being for uh, for Lucic. Lucic still hasn't scored a goal. And James Neal, I want to say, has 14 on yeah. the year. And uh, you, could, you could say, oh, well, Neal's playing with uh, McDavid. But he was only playing with him on the power play. I get it. But, like, Lucic was right there last year. and Yeah, they're both the net front guy. Exactly. So uh, I think we kind of glossed over. That's an unbelievable stat that they're both shooting 19.6%. When you take into account Drysaddle's taken 92 shots and McDavid's taken 97. Yeah. So that's, that's wild here is uh, McDavid has 19 goals to Drysaddle's 18. So it works out to be the exact same percentage. It's going to be fun to watch those two. Like Drysaddle, we mentioned just their power play points. Drysaddle has 32 assists. Yeah. 32 assists. 11 more points than Jean-Gabriel Pajot. That's kind of funny, actually, because Drysaddle and McDavid both have 32 assists. So, yeah, 11 more points than the, anyone on the Sens has points. 
and sorry, just assists. So that's, uh, I kind of just speaks to how unbelievable those two are. And send fans, it's, it's worth staying up tonight just to watch those two pass it around. Absolutely. And Ian Mendez, friend of the show, threw out the question last night. Well, Sens fans, uh, 20 minutes are in the books here. Your Sens are down 4 nothing. Anybody else staying up? And a lot of people were saying good night with replies and stuff like that. Yeah, tonight's one of those nights where ain't no knock on Elias Pettersson in Vancouver. He's fun to watch. Same with Bo Horvat, guys like that. But these two, when they're in town, this is, this is must-watch TV, especially against the Senators team that's struggling lately to keep the puck out of their net. Could be a point night for the boys over there. Yeah, I'm sure they're licking their chops as, uh, as it all comes to fruition. So that'll be tonight at, I think, 9.30 Eastern time will be the puck drop. Um, and then one more game on the road trip, but we'll be back before that to break it all down tomorrow on Thursday. For Chris Parliament, I'm Ross Levitan. This is the Locked On Senators podcast, your team every day.